Amen. You may be seated. I want to welcome you here to worship at Westminster. It is certainly a joy to be with you this morning. If you're visiting, a special welcome to you. After worship, I invite you out to our patio area for coffee and tea and snacks, a chance to get to know each other just a little better. Also, during our offering, those here in the center, if you would sign the pew pad, pass it down, pass it back. Take a look at the names of the people that are sitting near you. And after worship, you may greet each other by name. Let's join together now in our community prayer. It's printed in your bulletin. Let us pray. Holy One, we acknowledge the ways in which your children are not at peace. We are at war with people from distant lands. And at times, we are in conflict with those in our innermost circles. You are the God of us all. Help us to peer into our own hearts, to find compassion, to seek new ways of being together, to draw appropriate boundaries, and to reach out in constructive ways. Bring to our attention the ways in which we have contributed to strife and release us from its grasp. Set us free for love. Amen. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, know that as God's children in God's embrace, you are forgiven and free. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, each one of us is made new. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now I'd like to invite any of the children who are worshiping with us to come join me here at the front. I am glad you guys are here today because I have a special card I want to give to Rob. And really, Rob, this is from all of us, okay? It's from all of us, all right? So this is for you. 
I just wanted to recognize you on this special day. Go ahead oh, and open fantastic. it. Oh, fantastic. Well, I can't, I, I yeah, can't hold on. imagine Hold on, hold on. Let's is. see what's in Rob's card here. Yeah, this yeah. is very exciting. I didn't expect this. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. Well, you know. We just did staff reviews this week. I didn't think this is, I'd get a card out of that. Yeah, okay, yeah, let's yeah. see. Isn't that great? Hi. Okay, there's a cupcake. Happy, bir- ha- happy birthday. Happy birthday. Um, now, does he seem my, a little confused? Uh, my, my birthday's in December. Not in July. Yeah, his birthday's not today. Your birthday's in yeah. December. I know, but here's what, here's what was happening. Should I just save this? <laughs> so, your birthday's in December, too. Well, so, but see, Rob, here's the thing. I was just thinking this week about how much I appreciate working with you and All right, how keep great going. it is. <laughs> All the things that you do for the church. And I just... I missed you. I missed hey. you, too. That's right. I missed you, too. <laughs> he was gone last week, and we did. We missed him. Careful, huh? my head will not fit out the door <laughs> later. So I just wanted to celebrate you, even though it's actually not today is your birthday, but I think any day we can celebrate people, right? Sounds so good to I me. celebrate you, but yeah. you'll notice he looked a little surprised when he opened that card. It's kind of unexpected to get a birthday card in July when your birthday is in December. Good point. But I was thinking about that, how God often works in unexpected ways, too. A couple of weeks ago, you guys heard a story about Moses and about how God called Moses to help lead the people out of Egypt. And Moses was a little surprised. It's kind of unexpected. He didn't really speak very well in public. He wasn't really sure he was the guy God wanted. But God assured him that he could do it and that God would be with him. And then today you're going to hear another story about a guy named Jeremiah. And God also is asking, is calling Jeremiah to sort of help the people understand God and God's words. And Jeremiah said, oh, God, that's rather unexpected. I think you have the wrong person because Jeremiah was just a little boy. And God was calling him to do these amazing things. And Jeremiah's like, eh, are you sure you don't want someone else? Someone who's maybe a little older, a little wiser. And God said, no, I know it's unexpected that I want you to do this at such a young age. But you can do it. And not only that, said God, I will be with you. I will help you. And so I'm thinking about all the ways that God asks us to do things we may not expect. Like we might feel a little nudge to reach out to someone we're having an argument with. We might feel a little nudge to try something new that we're not so sure about. But know that even though God sometimes calls us to do unexpected things, God doesn't leave us alone to do those things. God is always with us to help us. Oh, this this is my microphone so everyone can hear me. So, Rob, it's not your birthday, no. but we celebrate do you to today. Back, yeah. No, you do not have to oh, give back okay. that card. That's for you. And I encourage you this week to think about how God might be appearing in your life or asking you to do something unexpected. But I encourage you to say yes and to go with God's help. All right? So why don't you go follow Cindy and Ned right there and learn some more about Jeremiah. Go, go now in peace. Go now in peace. May the love of God surround you everywhere, everywhere you may go. Now's the time in worship when we invite you to share. Share your joys, share your concerns that we might be in prayer with you and for you during the week. So if you have something to share, I invite you to just raise your hand. Susan. Mm. And she's 
Absolutely. Prayers for a friend, Sequoia, mom of boys that are 13 and 11. She's waiting a heart transplant, but is having to undergo some procedures before that can even happen. So certainly prayers for Sequoia and her family. Bruce, you have one? Yeah. Uh, Four years ago, my great niece, as I've said before, uh, had brain surgery for a brain tumor. They thought they had it all. She's good for two years. It grew back. She had radiation again and chemo. They thought she was doing fine. Last week, she started with seizures again, mm. and she's got a little two-year-old. Mm. So prayers for her, they can find what's going on. Yeah, this is your great-niece? Great-niece. who has had trouble with brain tumor before, and it looks like some symptoms are returning. Oh, there's, yeah, Mike. appreciate your annual bragging about your mother. <laughs> Happy birthday to her. Veronica, you have one? Oh, excellent. Veronica's grandma, Jesus' mom, celebrated 92 years. Yeah, Diane. Absolutely. Your sister-in-law diagnosed with breast cancer. It's turning out to be a little more complicated than thought. So prayers for her and her family. Scotty, yes. Uh, prayers for Senator John McCain. Absolutely. Prayers for John McCain. Any others? Yeah, David. Yeah, two things. I have spent the last four weeks, Sundays, preaching at Stinson Beach mm. and Bolinas Presbyterian Church. We don't know much about those little churches. They have a hard time mustering more than about 20 people in each of them. But they are wonderful little bands of faithful folk who are great intellectually, spiritually, and I just want you to keep them in your hearts. They also make far better coffee. <laughs> Thank you, David. So prayers for your cousin, Ruth, preparing for a double mastectomy. And then prayers for the Presbyterian congregations in Bolinas and Stinson Beach, who apparently have great coffee. <laughs> uh, 
their pastor quickly and unexpectedly died from cancer earlier this year, and David has been helping out with some supply preaching. So prayers for the congregations and prayers of thanks for you, for your presence with them. Yeah, Sue. Excellent joy for some visitors in town. Right. Let's take a few moments in quiet, and then I'll lead us in the Lord's Prayer. So let's be in prayer together. Gracious God, you hear the prayers of your people. And they're offered in the name of the one who teaches us to pray together, saying, Our Yeah. 
Thank you very much. Scripture reading this morning is from Genesis 25, verses 19 through 34. These are the descendants of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham was the father of Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Paterin, sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is to be this way, why do I live? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The elder shall be serve the younger. When her time to give birth was at hand, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red and hauled his body like a hairy mantle, so they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand gripping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was quite a man living in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he was fond of the game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stuff, for I am famished. Therefore he was called Edom. Jacob said, First sell me your birthright. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is my birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me first. So so he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil, stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Well, I was away last Sunday. I am aware that if you were here, that passage should have sounded awfully familiar. I figure summer attendance being what it is, that you could just do it twice in a row. (laughs) In actuality, Ted and I had switched Sundays, and when I got back, I had actually planned a whole separate service today, not using the same passage. It wasn't very good. And (laughs) I, I realized that this passage is so rich that why not give it another week? I mean, think of the, think of what's available to us in this archetypal story. It could go any number of directions. You could read it as an underdog story where the, uh, the younger and the more intellectual but less, less brute force uh, equipped one overtakes the older and the stronger. You could read it that way. 
We could look at it from the perspective of social conventions and how this biblical story works against that. It breaks the convention of the time where the older gets the birthright and all that comes with it. We don't know if that critique of the convention comes just from the younger son or if it comes from God, God's self. We could look at this passage from the perspective of priorities and see Esau as this failed example who who gives himself over to momentary desires of the flesh, hunger, rather than keeping what's really valuable. Of course, that strikes me as a little harsh considering Esau's hunger was worked up in the field. It's a working person. Maybe he was supposed to bring a lunch. I don't know. (laughs) On that note, you could say, well, this is revealing a tension between those hunters or people who labored in the fields and people who lived in the tents. Kind of an ancient version of the rural-urban tension. That might sound familiar to us today, living in our context. There could be any set of privileging or priorities going on here, critiques. You could read it from a feminist perspective. It's interesting to note that, that it's the one, it's the mother's favorite, right, who is favored, Jacob, over the one the father favors, Esau. That's something in a patriarchal culture. All these directions you can go. And then there's this little matter of the two nations that are inside Rebecca's womb. God says to her, and it's always good to pay attention when God's doing the same, there are two nations in your womb, and the two peoples that will be born of you will be divided. It seems division goes back to the womb of creation. If Cain and Abel didn't convince us that, then Jacob and Esau should leave no doubt. The passage says that while they were still in the womb, they struggled. But of course, struggle doesn't do it justice. It doesn't do the Hebrew word justice. The Hebrew word means to crush. These two babes or fetuses are crushing one another in the womb. And when Esau emerges, Jacob is right on his heel, I mean literally right on his heel, grasping it, trying to take from him his birthright before he even takes his first breath. If it's not in our DNA, then it certainly is in our family history, this division. Now, it's very likely this story, like all stories, was born out of a particular context and in some way is speaking to the realities of the time, maybe two nations at conflict, explaining somehow how things are and how things came to be. But I wonder how far we have to look at our own context to find similar division. How far you have to look. Is it in your family? Or is it in your circle of close relationships about your neighborhood? We're not immune to that in this idyllic setting. We might like to look like we're immune to that, but we're not. Out where I live, there's a brewing battle of sorts over, there's an emergence of a charter school. It's just stirred all kinds of things up. And there's some complex history to it, more than we can get into here. And As a result, there are strong feelings on different sides. That's not surprising. That's not unhealthy. 
But what's been surprising and very unhealthy is the way people have behaved toward one another around this. Children are getting um, ridiculed and bullied on playgrounds because of what their parents have decided for them for their education. Online forums like Nextdoor or Facebook have become these repositories for um, character assaults, for self-righteousness, for the crude disregard of other people's perspectives, of all the gifts of social media and online communication. Among them is not thoughtful deliberation about public issues. Not one of its strong suits. All of this, of course, coming from this, this community that prides itself on being open and welcoming, right? The veil's been lifted for us, and we love our community. I don't think I even need to go into the divisiveness in our nation or among nations. I think those are self-revelatory. It's deep in us. And the question is, what do we do in the midst of this reality that Scripture so exquisitely names with the simple image of two babes wrestling in the womb? How do we live in light of that? Do we uh, connive and scheme or crush to try to get what we think is ours or what we know isn't ours but we want anyway? Jacob seems to be rewarded by that. We'll come back next week. We'll actually do a different passage. And it's it's a later story in this sequence and Jacob gets his comeuppance too. So don't be so sure that his reward is long-lasting. Or can we choose differently to not return blow for blow, not return violence for violence, not participate in a kind of a way of being that destroys relationship and instead find a way to be that nurtures and builds up relationship. The current project of Shane Claiborne, who to me is um, one of the most powerful witnesses, Christian witnesses of, of my generation, the current project of Claiborne is to take on the death penalty, which he has taken on as, as a matter of faith, not simply because of the biases that have been shown in its execution, pun intended, uh, and not simply because of the mistakes that have been proven that have been made in executing people. But for him, it's as simple and as profound as following Jesus means you don't kill people to show people that killing is wrong. And for him, it's as profound and simple as the claim that nobody is beyond redemption. Nobody, nobody. Nobody. But he doesn't make his case through statistics or uh, that kind of data as much as he does through stories. He collects them and he tells them. And recently I heard him tell a story about a woman named Mary Johnson. Mary Johnson's 16-year-old son was killed in a random shooting. Had nothing to do with what was going on but was killed. 16 years old. The name of his son's killer was O'Shea, and you can't make this up, O'Shea Israel. Israel, of course, being the name that Jacob becomes later in Scripture. Well, there was no mistaken identity. The police caught the right person, so to speak. And, and Mary 
had the same kind of anger that I suppose many of us would have. Rage, really, I know I would after I was done being devastated. But Mary's a Christian woman, kind of a Pentecostal charismatic sort. And and in her words, she said, the Spirit started to work on me. And, And over time, that same Spirit put something in front of her that changed her life. She came across this poem, an anonymous poem, called Two Mothers. And in this poem, it's an image of two women meeting in heaven. They're now angels. And they recognize each other as mothers because of the stars in their crowns. So, Mom, there is a payoff eventually. You get, <laughs> you get stars. But they recognize another commonality. There's a blue tint in their halos. And the blue tint signifies that they lost a child when they were on earth. And so one mother asks the other her story. And she goes on to tell her story about how her son was crucified. In realizing this is the mother of Jesus, the other woman falls to her knee and starts to weep. And Mary picks up the woman and kisses the tear from her cheek and embraces her and says, now tell me your story. And the woman says, I'm the mother of Judas who betrayed Jesus and who took his own life in the mother's embrace. And it's at that moment that Mary Johnson recognizes in her situation there's another mother too. And so that spirit leads her to reach out to O'Shea's mom. And she does, and they connect, and they form a relationship, and they form a group called Two Mothers, and they start holding support groups, one for victims of violent, mothers of victims of violent crime, and the other for mothers of perpetrators of violent crime. And they eventually form an organization called From Death to Life. And the spirit wasn't done with Mary Johnson. Over time, she feels led to go meet O'Shea himself. And she visits her son's murderer in prison. And they become connected. And they form a relationship. So much so that when O'Shea is released from prison, 20 years later, he moves in next door And upon being released from prison, one of the first things O'Shea says is, I feel like I'm the luckiest man in the world to have two mothers. Now, it's easy to behold that story and say it's the stuff of miracles and therefore dismiss it, because that's what we do with miracles. We behold them and then dismiss them because they're too much for us to handle. Because we say, oh, we couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. But if we believe what we say, then we're not different than Mary is. We're kin to Mary. And if we believe what we say, then we're led by the same spirit and we follow the same Lord that Mary does. 
don't think it was easy for Mary. The trial of her son's murder took a year and a half to, to happen, and when it finally came, she was still enraged. It took her 12 years to visit O'Shea in prison, but she persisted, and why did she persist? Why did she stay with it? Not because it was easy, but because for her, that's what it meant to follow Jesus Christ. Now, I move in a lot of progressive Christian circles, and one of the things that I notice a lot is, is condescension towards our evangelical sisters and brothers. I like to talk about how smart we are and how simple they are. But if we practice our discipleship of Jesus as seriously as Mary does, and as so many do, think of how different the world could be. Think how different it all could be. Now, I know some of your stories. I don't know all of your stories. I pray you never have to find out that your son has been killed or your daughter has been killed by someone else. But you have suffered. I know you've suffered unspeakable things. And if you haven't, you will face struggle in your life. That's going to come, undoubtedly. And I can imagine that at some point you'll be led into that deep place where you ask the same question that Rebecca asks, perhaps the most biting question of the passage. If it is to be this way, why do I live? Or just simply, I live. And if statistics say anything, then there are people in this room who have asked that question in the most literal of ways. If it's going to be like this, why live? And the best answer I can give you is because you have the chance to give birth to something beautiful. Whether it's a child or something else, something beautiful and blessed can come forth from you. About a week and a half ago, I received word that one of my mentors, the guy who got me my first job, the guy who preached at my ordination service, uh, had fallen and had a serious stroke. Now, many people know uh, David Bartlett as author of a number of books on the New Testament, or as a dean at Yale Divinity School, or for some of us, as someone who came down to our little seminary outside of Atlanta to teach near the end of his career. And he did that because while his deanship was done, he still had a couple of years under contract, and he didn't want the person who followed him to have to work under his shadow. That's the kind of generous and kind man that he is. Well, David lies now in the ICU in Chicago with part of his skull taken out so that the swelling can hopefully go down largely unresponsive. It's unclear what his capabilities will be. Half of his body doesn't seem to work. Half of his brain has been severely damaged. It's pretty clear he'll never teach again or never preach again, even though he's young enough to do both. Within one day of the posting of that notification on Facebook online, 477 people had commented 
Now, I knew firsthand the kind of uh, guidance and wisdom and thoughtfulness and, and care and, and faithfulness that this man embodied and, and offered. But I didn't know so many other people had experienced that too. Somebody wrote that, that Bartlett had written him 100 letters of recommendation. Think of that. And that doesn't diminish it for me that all these other people had had the same experience I did. It only multiplies it because as I sat there reading through all these testimonies, I thought to myself, look at what one life can do for people through nothing miraculous, through taking his, his vocation seriously, through being a good colleague to those around him, through being a, a good mentor to his students and a good pastor to the congregations he served, and to loving his family and his children. One of his adult sons, Jonah, has been posting things, uh, updates and the like, and, and a couple of days ago, he, he posted that he and his wife have been going through and listening to any voicemail they have of him saved. That's all they have. And this learned professor uh, spoke briefly in his voicemail messages, so they're all less than 10 seconds. But they just keep playing them again and again. And they all go something like this. Bartlett, one of Bartlett's habits was he, he never wanted his adult children to go more than two days without calling home. Good luck with that. <laughs> so all the messages go something like this. It's your father. Give us a call when you get a chance. And Jonah ended that post by saying, we're trying, Dad. We're trying. There's a time to be infants and to wrestle around and to take what you can grab and maybe even take it from your sibling. And then there's a time to grow up and to forgive and to bless and to stay connected. Amen.
may be seated. This time I invite uh, Susan Burkout, Clerk of Session, our body of elected elders here, forward, as well as Anita Lowe to be installed as deacon. As you know, we install uh, officers uh, and elders one time a year, um, but we had an opening, and so Anita is stepping in to fill that space, and we are so pleased to have, uh, to have you willing to serve in that way. We are all called into the way of Jesus, all of us, by virtue of our baptism, whether it's baptism by the water or baptism by the Spirit. This is our common calling. Within this body, some of us are called in particular moments to particular service, as deacons, as elders, as ministers of word and sacrament. Now, the ability to serve is actually God's gift to us, and our eagerness, or sometimes our willingness to serve, is our gift back to God and to the community. Today we celebrate the call to serve as a deacon, which is a ministry of care and compassion. And I turn to Susan for the presentation. Do we, members of this church, accept Anita, chosen by God through the voice of this congregation, to lead us in the way of Jesus Christ? We do. Do we agree to encourage and respect her decisions and to follow as she guides us, serving Jesus Christ, who alone is head of the church? We do. Anita, we have some questions for you, mine of which are sitting back here. <laughs> <laughs> These are the same ordination questions that all people who are ordained 
offer and answer. So we will alternate um, these ordination or these ordination installation questions to you. Anita, do you trust in Jesus Christ, your Savior? Acknowledge him Lord of all and head of the church and through him believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If so, please say, I do. Do you accept the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be by the Holy Spirit? the unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ and the church universal, and God's word to you, do you? Do you sincerely receive and adopt the essential tenets of the Reformed faith as expressed in the confessions of our church as authentic and reliable expositions of what scripture leads us to believe and do? And will you be instructed and led by those confessions as you lead the people of God, do you and will you? Will you fulfill your ministry in obedience to Jesus Christ under the authority of Scripture and be continually guided by our confessions, will you? Will you be governed by our church's polity and will you abide by its discipline? Will you be a friend among your colleagues in ministry, working with them, subject to the ordering of God's word and spirit, will you? Will you in your own life seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ love your neighbors, and work for the reconciliation of the world, will you? Do you promise to further the peace, unity, and purity of the church, do you? Will you pray for and seek to serve the people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love, will you? Will you be a faithful deacon, teaching charity, urging concern, and directing the people's help to the friendless and those in need, in your ministry, will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ, will you? Amen. Amen. So now my favorite part of an ordination or installation is when we get to lay our hands on you. So if any of you have ever been ordained as an elder or a deacon in the church, I invite you to come forward. And we're certainly not going to all be able to reach Anita. Um, but some of us can, and then simply lay your hands on the shoulders of those in front of you, and we will bless and pray for you. Let us pray. Eternal God, you have called Anita to serve you in this household of faith and in the world. Send your Holy Spirit upon her that she may serve among us with faithfulness and compassion. Help her to be diligent in her duties, serving in hope and in gladness. Give her joy in her walk of faith and a sure sense of your abiding presence for her work of ministry. May her example prove worthy for all of us to follow as we are united in Christ's ministry to the glory of your name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. So many of you may know Glenn Burke, who is a longtime member of this congregation and recently moved to Texas. And it's Glenn's vacated position that Anita is filling. And it just is always wonderful to me to see as we say goodbye to one, we say hello to another. So thank you, Anita. And I just want to invite you to take a look at all the events and classes and activities going on in the life of the church. They're printed in here. And get involved as you see fit for yourself. 
Now, as you are comfortable, I invite you to stand and join in our closing hymn. It's number 378. Friends, now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is Father and who is Mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day, be with you every day. Amen.